In this series, we've been discussing the spiritual significance of holidays. And on the surface, it appears that what is a holiday? It's a time that we celebrate and we commemorate a major historic event that happened in the past. And we derive from that event certain lessons and certain ideas that help us live better now and in the future. In Hasidic philosophy and in mysticism, it explains that there's a much deeper dimension to holidays. And that is, it's not just celebrating something that happened once upon a time, but a holiday is a day that on that day there's actually an unusual spiritual revelation taking place. Godliness is being revealed in an unusual measure on that day. That is why it is considered a holy day. And how did that affect us? One who is a tzaddik, or one who is on a high spiritual level, can actually perceive this revelation on a conscious level. Those that are not on that level, even though we don't experience anything on a conscious level, but subconsciously our neshama, our soul, absorbs this additional godly Revelation that's taking place on this day. How does it affect us? When the soul, when the neshama absorbs this godly revelation, this subconsciously strengthens the neshama, strengthens the soul. And therefore the person's godliness, the godliness that was in the person becomes reinforced and the person functions at a much higher and stronger spiritual level. And then we explain that this is something which applies to all holidays. But then there's a difference between one holiday and another. And that is that the nature of the godly revelation is not always the same. Every holiday, it's a different aspect of the godly realm that's being revealed. And therefore, it reinforces a specific and corresponding aspect in the soul. So practically speaking, every holiday we become stronger in a specific area of Judaism. So one holiday will give us strength in the area of faith, that our faith in Hashem, our faith in God becomes reinforced, and this strength which we receive on that holiday will last until that holiday comes around again the following year. And a different holiday gives us the strength to do repentance, as we discussed previously, and now we're in the process of discussing what is Sukkot. What spiritual strength does one receive during the holiday of Sukkot? And that's what we'll be discussing in today's lesson. What it says in Hasidic philosophy is that on this day, during this holiday, we receive new additional spiritual strength which enables us to perform properly the mitzvah of Avas Yisrael, love for our fellow Jew, that Jews should all be able to unite as one. How is this connected to the holiday of Sukkot? One of the main mitzvahs, one of the main commandments that we have to fulfill and perform during the holiday of Sukkot is the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrug. What is Lulav and Esrog? 
we take four kinds of plants and we have to bring them together and make a blessing over it as they are all together. What are the four kinds? One is a palm branch, that's the lulav, then the ethrog, a citrus fruit, then we take the arava, which is a willow branch, and hadas, which is a myrtle branch. Take all these four together, and we hold them together, we tie three of them together, and we make the blessing. What is the significance of these four kinds? There are many explanations in the Medrash. One of them is that they represent four kinds of Jewish people. And the Jewish nation is divided into four categories. There are those people that they devote themselves mainly towards the study of Torah. And they have Torah knowledge, but not so much into good deeds. There are those people that devote themselves mainly towards action, towards doing good deeds, but they don't have so much knowledge of Torah. Then there are people who have both. They're into learning and studying and they have a lot of knowledge of Torah and they also excel in observance and good deeds. Then there are people who are lacking both. They have not knowledge of Torah and neither do they have the quality of doing good deeds. So the four kinds represent these four kinds of Jews. The Ethrog, which has a very good taste and also a very pleasant odor, this represents the Jew that has the Torah knowledge and the good deeds. Then there's the willow branch, which has no odor and no taste. This represents the Jew that's not into Torah knowledge and not into good deeds. Then you have the myrtle branch, which has a very pleasant odor, but there's no taste to it. This represents the Jew that's into good deeds, but doesn't have Torah knowledge. Then the palm branch, and the palm branch has to come from a tree that there are dates growing on the tree. Those dates, they have a taste but there's no odor. This represents a Jew that has the study of Torah, but not the observance of, not so much into the observance of action and doing good deeds. So we take all the four kinds, and we bind them together, and we perform one mitzvah with it, to show that all Jews are one. Regardless if you're on the highest level, that you have the Torah knowledge, and you're also observing and doing good deeds, or you're on the lowest level, or somewhere in between, we are all one. Unity. In fact, this is also connected to the very simple and literal uh, explanation of this holiday, as it's written in the Torah, that the time of Sukkot is Chag HaOsif. It's a time of the ingathering of the things that grow in the field. So what you do is you take that which grows in the field, and you gather it together. You put them into bundles, and you put them away into storage, in other words, physically, there's this ingathering of different things which are separate and making them one, binding them together. This symbolizes that it's also a time for spiritual ingathering where people from different classes and different levels and different qualities all unite and become one. We also find that there was a mitzvah in the times when there was a temple that once in seven years, all the Jews from all over the world, men, women, and even children, were obligated to come to the Beis Hamikdash, to the temple, and to hear words of Torah from the king. And this was once in seven years, 
an act where all the people have to unite. Somewhat like on a personal level, where people in a family are dispersed all over, and then once in a while there's a reunion where everybody comes together to reunite once again. So once in seven years this took place regularly. When did it take place? What time of the year did it take place? During the holiday of Sukkot. Which again indicates that this is the time of the year where we strengthen, we reinforce our unity between ourselves. Unity between Jews. This principle of unity between Jews and love for our fellow Jew we'll discuss it in today's lesson in light of Hasidic philosophy how Hasidus explains this mitzvah of unity between Jews and love for our fellow Jew and the truth of the matter is that not only does Hasidic philosophy discuss this principle a lot but to a certain extent we might even say that one of the most essential principles of Hasidic philosophy and the whole Hasidic movement was Abbas Yisro. There are many people that if you would stop them and say, what would you say in one word, what is the essence of the movement of the Baal of and Hasidic philosophy, the answer would be Abbas Yisro, love for a fellow Jew. And to understand this a little bit, actually, love for a fellow Jew is not something which has been established in the teachings of mysticism, but it's found directly in the Torah. One of the 613 commandments is, you should love your fellow Jew as yourself. And not only is it written clearly in the Torah that this is a mitzvah, but it's also stated in the oral Torah, in the Talmud, that this mitzvah is an essential mitzvah. And as Rabbi Kiva said, he said, this mitzvah is a cardinal principle in the entire Torah. And furthermore, we find a statement in the Talmud that shows not only that it is a cardinal principle in the Torah, but that this is considered the core of all of Judaism. There's a story told in the Gemara of an individual who wanted to convert to Judaism, and he went to one of the greatest Torah scholars of that time, whose name was Shammai. And he said to him, I'd like to convert to Judaism, but I want you to teach me the entire Torah as I stand on one foot. And Shammai, who was known to be very strict, when he heard this request on this condition, he said, I cannot accept you. And he rejected him. So he went to another Torah scholar, who was known to be different than Shammai, much more lenient than Shammai. His name was Hillel. And he made the same offer to him, I'd like to convert to Judaism, but on the condition that you teach it to me as I stand on one foot. And the rabbi said, okay, I'll do that. And what did he teach him? He said, don't do to others what you wouldn't want others to do to you. This is the essence of the entire Torah. All the rest is commentary. So here again we see that love for a fellow Jew and this unity between Jews is not just a mitzvah or an important mitzvah but in a sense this is the essence of the whole Torah so what could the Baal Shem Tov add with the teachings of Hasidus after knowing this about the mitzvah of love for a fellow Jew and the answer is the Baal Shem Tov just showed more depth that lies in this mitzvah how unity between Jews and love for a fellow Jew is supposed to be totally unlimited. And there are two stages in this. 
One stage was unlimited, that I should have love for an individual who's illiterate and uneducated, a person who doesn't even know what he's doing as far as Judaism is concerned. I should have love for that Jew just like I would have for the greatest Torah scholar. That was the first stage. Then in the second generation of Hasidic philosophy, of the Hasidic movement, headed by Rav Magid of Mizrich, new depth was added to this mitzvah. I should, that not only should I extend my love to every Jew, even an ignorant and uneducated Jew, but it should be extended even to a Russia. The ignorant person at least was a God-fearing person. The Russia is an individual who has negative character traits. Even that person, I should learn to love him as much as I love a tzaddik, a righteous person. In the times of the Boshemtov, those Jews that were illiterate and uneducated, unfortunately there were many, because they had just lived through a holocaust where over a million Jews, men, women, and children were killed during the uprise of the Cossacks by Chalamenitsky, and many families were destroyed. Children never had a chance to be educated, and there was a whole generation that grew up that was illiterate. And these people were rejected by the main community of Jews. In fact, there was a separate shul that had their own synagogue for the illiterate. And there was no mixing of the two. The Vashamtov showed how one should have love for every Jew should be unlimited even to these people. In fact, he showed that to a certain extent these people might even stand higher than great Torah scholars. Because even though they're not educated, they don't have the knowledge. But when they do something, they do it with such pureness of heart, with such sincerity, with such depth and such feeling, that in certain ways it's even greater than the feelings and the pureness of heart of the great Torah giant, the great Torah scholar. The Vashanto told many stories to his students and actually showed them many people who were in this category, simple Jews, but he showed them how they, with their simplicity, but with their deep, profound pureness of heart, they reached the highest levels of spirituality that even great scholars did not merit to, to reach and to achieve. Just to give one example of a story where the Vashem Tov himself was told once, that there is a Jew who's davening, his prayers are greater than the Boshemtov. We know the Boshemtov accomplished such great things with his prayers. People who were sick were cured. People who were poor became wealthy. People with all sorts of problems were helped. And here he's told that there's a Jew whose davening is even greater than the Boshemtov. So he decided he was going to go there, find this person, and learn from him how to pray on even a higher level than what he was doing already. He goes out to find this person and he discovers that it happens to be a very simple Jew. So simple that when he asked him, tell me, how do you pray? The man turned red and he said, unfortunately I don't know what you're supposed to say and what you're not supposed to say. So just to make sure that I don't miss out on anything, every day when I pray, I do the entire sitter from cover to cover. That means that every day, he said everything that's in the Siddur, those things he's supposed to say on Shabbos, on the holidays, during his circumcision, during your wedding, when he's got to be the funeral, which he's supposed to say when you blow shofar, 
all these things, he packed them all into his daily prayers. And Vashantov looks at this person, and he says, such davening, and yet it was greater than Vashantov's davening. He made so many mistakes. He said God's name in vain, and yet it was greater. Obviously, there was such depth there, and such pureness of heart, with all the simplicity, that it surpassed the davening of the Vashantov. Vashantov decided, now that I'm here already, I'll teach him how to daven properly. And he showed him what you're supposed to say on Shabbos, what you're supposed to say during the holidays, what you say during a wedding, and what you say on Purim, what you say when you burn the chametz. And by each thing he put little bookmarks into the sitter, so we'll know exactly what to say when. He put the sitter on top of a bookcase, and he walked out to see off the Bashamtov, he thanked him very much, and they departed. When he walked back into his house, short while later, he bumped accidentally into the bookcase. The sitter came tumbling down. All the bookmarks flew out all over the place. And the man was devastated. He just finally had someone teach him how to pray, and now he lost it all. So he began to chase after the Bashamtov. But he's shouting at the top of his lungs, Rebbe, Rebbe, Rebbe. And the Bashamtov doesn't turn around, doesn't hear him. Then he sees from the distance the Bashantov comes to a small lake. The Bashantov used to conduct himself in a miraculous way, as it's known. He took out a handkerchief, put it on the water, then he stood on the handkerchief, and that's how he went across to the other side of the lake. This man was so simple-minded that he figured, I guess this must be the way to get across. So he also took out his handkerchief, put it on the water, stood on the handkerchief, and he did come across. And finally, on the other side of the lake, he caught up with the Bashamtov. Catches up to him, he's out of breath, and he says, Rebbe, the Siddur you gave me fall apart, everything fell out, and he starts crying that I lost the whole thing. Please come back and show me how to do it. The Bashamtov says to him, tell me, how did you get here on the other side of the lake? And the man says, well, I just did what you did. I took out my handkerchief, and I stood on it, and I got across. When the Bashamtov heard that, he said, well, if that's the case... Just go home and continue to pray the way you used to do it until now. In other words, here was an individual that with his simplicity, he was able to accomplish, accomplish the same thing the Bashantov accomplished with all the vast knowledge of mysticism and his great tremendous spiritual powers. He did all that with his simplicity. The question is, what is it in Hasidic philosophy that encourages love for every Jew, even the ignorant and uneducated Jew, or he too should deserve love and respect from every other Jew. And the answer is, there are basically two dimensions to Judaism. A neshama and a guf. A body and a soul. The body of Judaism are the physical and technical features of Jewish way of life. Which means observing the laws and the customs, doing the rituals, accumulating Torah knowledge and so on. The soul, the neshama, and life force behind everything within Judaism is the love for God and the awe for God and all the other feelings that one has towards God. That's the driving force and the life force behind everything in Judaism, the soul of Judaism. And there are two approaches. One approach is that the main focus and the main emphasis should be on developing and perfecting and building the body of Judaism, working on the technical aspects of Jewish way of life, and the feelings that will come later. 
the Hasidic approach, which is what the Bashamtiv introduced, is that the main focus and emphasis should be on developing and perfecting the love for God and the feelings towards God, the soul within Judaism. And that will naturally bring a perfect way of conducting oneself and observing and building the body of Judaism in a perfect way. One of the differences between the two approaches is how you see the results of following the Torah way of life. By the first approach, what do you see as a result of this way of life? Mainly you see a product of a perfect and beautiful person. A person who is full of Torah wisdom, a cultured, educated person, person has refinement of character because he's following the rules of the Torah and he's living a disciplined, productive life. So therefore, when it says in the Torah you should love every Jew, love your fellow Jew, what do you see? The uniqueness of the fellow Jew, that he deserves the love and respect from his fellow Jew. What you see in the Jew is that beautiful, perfect human being, that educated, cultured individual with refined character and, and, and a beautiful, productive life. So the ignorant person who doesn't have that education and therefore doesn't do the right things because he doesn't know what to do and how to do, that person doesn't deserve my respect and my love. But when the main emphasis and the main focus is the neshama of Judaism, that love and developing those feelings for God, what do you see then as the result? The result is you see, by following the Torah way of life, a Jew who becomes one with God. You see that godliness in the Jew. And therefore, when it says in the Torah you should love a fellow Jew like yourself, what do you see the uniqueness of a Jew that he deserves the love and respect from his fellow Jew? You see that godliness in him, that oneness with God that he has. And if that's the case, these ignorant Jews, these Jews who were ignorant and did the wrong things out of ignorance, nevertheless, that love for God was there. They had a burning fire of love for God, in fact. They just didn't know how to express it and how to apply it. So that oneness with God, that godliness they had within themselves. And therefore, they too deserve the love and respect from the fellow Jew. In fact, in fact their love came from a much purer place and had much more depth and sincerity to it than some Torah scholars, as we explained before. Then came the second generation in the Hasidic movement, the generation which was led by the Magid Mizrich, and in that generation it was taught a step further, that not only the simple-minded Jew and the ignorant Jew should be loved like any other Jew, but the Russia should be loved just like the Tzaddik. The wicked person could be loved just like the Tzaddik. And this follows what we explained before. Being that this love for a fellow Jew comes because of that godliness within the Jew, and because the Jew has this love for God and has, is one with God, so true, here is a person who is evil and commits sin, so he's definitely very distant from God, but that's only on the surface. We did explain so many times in our previous lessons how the soul has two dimensions to it. There's a superficial and a shallow dimension to the soul, and there's a deeper dimension to the soul. There's a dimension to the soul, the deeper dimension to the soul, that is not affected by sin. And in that part of the soul, 
the love for God is constant. And in fact, there's a fire of love burning there that's unlimited. A fire that cannot be extinguished. And there's no experience in the world that can destroy that fire of love. And that is the reason why a Jew, according to Jewish law, will always remain a Jew. Even if he goes furthest point away from Judaism. And even if he converts to another religion, he doesn't, doesn't lose his Jewish identity, not only because of a biological reason that his mother was Jewish, but because deep down in his heart, there's a burning love for godliness and for Torah and for Judaism that's there. And if that's the case, then every Jew deserves my love and respect because every Jew has that love for God and every Jew has that oneness for God. And the fact that we see that the person is evil, that's only the external dimension of the person. That's not the real person. Like the analogy that we gave previously of an individual who you knew for many years to be a very kind-hearted person, a very wonderful person, and then this person was in an accident that caused brain damage, and he became an unbearable monster. You don't have hate towards that person, you have compassion towards the person. Because you know that all the evil that you see now, and all the negativity that you see now, it's really not him. I knew this person before the accident. He was such a good, kind-hearted person, a heart of gold. So what I see now as negative is just a result of an accident, but it's not really him. That's the way we see every Jew. That the essence of the Jew is really pure gold, is godly, and is good. And there's a burning love to be good and to be closer to God and to live a moral and spiritual life. And all the negativity we see is only on the outside. So therefore, every single Jew, going by the essence of the soul, deserves our love and respect. And when I see an evil person, it's the evilness and the wickedness that I hate, not the person. Because the essence of the person is good. So the time in the year that we get that spiritual injection, so to speak, that spiritual additional strength to be able to carry out this precept of having love for every single Jew and to be able to feel one and united with every single Jew, when is the time in the year that we get that spiritual strength that's on Sukkot? And how do we absorb that strength? How do we internalize that strength? That's by performing the mitzvah of Lulav, as we explained before, that Lulav represents this concept of unity. However, there's another third stage in terms of this mitzvah, and that was introduced in the third generation of Hasidic movement by the Alter Rebbe, the Baal Hatanya, the first Rebbe of Chabad. And that is, it says in the Torah, you should love your fellow friend, your fellow Jew, as you love yourself. And the question is, how is that even possible? How could you expect that a person should love a stranger the way they love themselves? And therefore, many commentaries want to explain that of course you can't expect to actually have the same feelings of love for another as you have for yourself. But it means you should do to other people exactly what you would have done if it would have been you or your children, your family. So on the level of feeling, on the emotional level, it can be the same. But on the practical level, in terms 
what you would do to help someone else. It would be the same that you would do for yourself. In terms of how you would go out of your way not to hurt someone else, it would be just like what you would do to defend yourself. However, there's a deeper explanation to that, that one is actually capable of de- developing the same kind of love for our fellow Jew as we actually have for ourselves. How is that possible? And the answer is because when you look at the Jewish person from the angle of his soul, we can understand that not only are all Jews connected and are all Jews united, but that in essence all Jews are actually one because we all have one and the same soul. How can this be explained? This we'll be discussing in the next lesson.